Welcome back to the Don't Worry About It podcast, where we talk all things mental health related, from anxiety to depression, from happiness to sadness, and all emotions and feelings in between. My name is David Izzo, and I started this podcast to help facilitate conversations related to mental health topics. On today's episode, we have Michelle Cherner join the show. Michelle is somebody who reached out to me after listening to a previous episode and wanted to share her own struggles dealing with mental health issues ranging from anxiety, depression, and much more, as well as give some insights and educate me and hopefully you guys as well as she learned that she was on the spectrum and was diagnosed with autism at the age of 25. Michelle is now 31 and striving in life but has had a really tough time and really opened up and shared her own personal struggles and I know I've learned a lot from her. I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the Don't Worry About It podcast. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad you reached out, um, and I'm glad we were able to set up this time to chat. So if you don't mind, Michelle, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, Sure. My name is Michelle Cherner. Uh, I am based in uh, Los Angeles, California, uh, San Fernando Valley, to be exact. Uh, 31 years old currently, had my birthday on the 7th, newly 31. Um, I am a graduate student in special education at Cal State Northridge, and I currently work full-time in an e-commerce company as well. Oh, wow. Well, first of all, happy belated birthday. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, what, um, you know, you mentioned that you were going into, you know, special education. Yes. Why did you decide to go into that field? So I went into that field because I was actually diagnosed with autism at the age of 25. So that's like about five and a half years ago. Um, I was clued into having possible autism at the age of 21. And then it took me about four years after that to get fully diagnosed. And I want to get into that field because I had a lot of struggles in middle school and high school with education, social life, family relationships, friend relationships, just a lot of different stuff in general. And um, I definitely want to be a mentor and an advocate towards people with disabilities, um, whether it be mild to moderate to severe, you know, all types of disabilities. I definitely want to be a leader in the field and um, maybe publish some papers, do some um, speeches, talks, Um, definitely just want to be an educator in general. Wow. Well, that's, that's incredible. So you you grew yeah. up and you went the first 21 years of your life not being diagnosed. And then at 21, you got tipped. And then 25, you got a full diagnosis? Yes. Uh, 21, I had a birthday dinner with my maternal grandparents and my uncle. And my uncle on my mom's side was like, maybe uh, Karen, that was my mom's name, um, might have had autism. And kind of made me think, hmm. Maybe I could have it too. And my mom actually died when I was seven from breast cancer in 1997. So it was kind of hard for me to like hear that because I'm like, I don't really know much about my mom. And my grandparents were like, I don't think she did. And they didn't really know. But her brother was more maybe aware he's a lawyer and um, has his own law firm, very smart guy. Um, He just kind of brought that up casually and it kind of made me kind of interested in if I have it because sometimes it does run in the family. Yeah, well, I want to take at least three steps back right now and start 
what it, I mean, for those of us listening, you know, autism is something that I've, I've heard of before and that I've, sure. I've, you know, I've learned. But can you explain <laughs> what autism is? Um, I guess in a, in a easy sense, it's like no two people have the same, no two people with autism can have the same type of mm-hmm. symptoms or issues. Um, it's a broad spectrum disability. So, you know, there can be social impairments and communication delays. Um, I actually do have a cousin, uh, well, kind of like a cousin by marriage on my mom's side. My uncle's ex-wife's daughter has autism and she's more severe than me. I, you can't really define autism because it's a spectrum disorder, but it has like issues with communication and, and social stuff. You just mentioned spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. What is that? Um, well, it can be from mild to uh, the most severe um, my cousin has actually more so severe. Um, so mild is like, I, I would consider myself to be mild. Um, it's just, you know, there's different types of autism. Um, there can be stuff that like people that just can't talk and they're mute. And then there can be just people that have minor, um, issues with just maybe social communication. So, so some people could, ha- I mean, I, I, I'm familiar with the spectrum. I was just, yeah. you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of information out there that we learn and it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why when you reached out to me mm-hmm. and you mentioned that you were, you, you had, were diagnosed with autism, I thought, mm-hmm. I thought, because I think it completely plays into the role of mental health. I think it's something that fits into that spectrum on this podcast. And I think it's something that myself and I think a lot of the listeners included are mm-hmm. stuff that we're familiar with. There are a lot of us who probably know somebody who who has autism, or, mm-hmm. or as I've always been taught of what it was from a young age. You know, it's you, you don't say autism; you say on the spectrum. Right, right. It's more so like a neurological disability um, than I would say. Like a lot of people think it's a mental illness. Um, it's really not. And I like I always cringe when people say that. Like it's more so like a neurological disability, but there can be issues related to depression and anxiety. And a lot of things can be cormo- uh, cormobid. Uh, sorry. Uh, right. Cormobid, yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty much that. Um, and basically there's just a lot of like little things that can be in autism. Like it's just, it's just a, a wide range of disorders essentially. <laughs> I understand. And if you don't mind, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm interested that you mentioned that you were tipped off at 21. Yes. When you were tipped off, did you, growing up, did you ever wonder if there was something? Yeah. So I always, okay. So basically I, I never had a period of my life where I didn't have friends, but I always had a period of time where I fought a lot with friends in a, like an abnormal way. Um, when oh, yeah. I, Oh, did you say what? What did you mean? Yeah. What do you mean? You can you explain what that like. What do you mean? You got into a lot of normal fights with friends. I felt like I was causing a lot of drama more so than my friends when they were like, I wasn't causing drama, but I was having like social like it, issues communicating with my friends, and it caused a lot of problems for our relationships. Um, and I've had a lot of friends come out of my life. Um, but I don't think that was really like the surefire sign that hey, I have autism. Um. I do do stim a lot and stimming is something a lot of people might not be aware of, but it's like flapping of your hands or rocking back and forth. Um, When I was younger as well, I would always kind of gravitate towards, and I don't know if this is necessarily autism per se, but I 
was more so maybe not as developed as my peers in like what I liked. And I would go to towards my cousins that were a little bit younger than me. And maybe when I was like nine or 10, I would still be playing with Barbies. And um, I was playing a lot with my cousin, um, Nahama, who, um, you know, <laughs> and um, she was a couple years younger than me. So she was kind of still in that range to play with Barbies, but I was a little bit older. And um, looking back at it now, I was like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be playing with Barbies at that age, a little too old. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, I can't personally relate with Barbies. I didn't mm-hmm. play with Barbies. Right. Um, and if I did, I pro. I don't know if I'd mention it. So I'm just going to go with that, that I definitely didn't play with any Barbies. <laughs> um, no, but I think it's really interesting. You mentioned yeah. skimming and you, right, you explained what it is. Yeah. How did that, I guess, looking back on your life, is there like, are there moments, like, I know I, I've spoken with people that, you know, were on the spectrum before and they've said that, They've had a real like there are times where they've in their life where they had really, really hard times relating, connecting, and communicating yes. with people. Is that something that, you know, is something that's general for people that, that are on the spectrum, or is that more specific? I would say it is something that can be found on the spectrum for most or a good amount of people that have autism. I'm not gonna say it's for everyone. Um, because again, no two people with autism have the same issues but they can still have autism no less um i think connecting with people was really difficult for me um i i kind of had to learn a lot from my peers and kind of like model what they were doing and how they were relating and trying to i don't want to say like i was an actor in my social setting but i kind of just copied a lot of like what they were saying and how their mannerisms were um but i it really affected me a lot in my family relationships when I was younger and connecting with my cousins that were a little older than me or even at the same age as me. Um, And a lot of them thought maybe I was a little different that I liked younger stuff that might not be in my range to like. Um, But I definitely do think it's relating to um, having issues with communications and and stuff like that. And when you found out that you, when you were diagnosed at 25 Mm -hmm. with autism, what, what was that like? How did it feel? Um, it kind of was like, wow, like, no wonder I had this issue. And um, when I was younger, just to go back onto that, I, I might still do it now, but I kind of walk on my toes sometimes. And I used to get made fun of that a lot, made fun for doing that when I was younger. And I kind of researched that and I was like, could be an issue with autism and the stimming I... I was like, I don't think most of us stim as much as I do. Um, but when I got diagnosed, I was kind of like, it was, a, it was just a sign of relief. But I was like, dang, like at the end of the day, I was able to do so much without having to have special help in school. I went to LAUSD schools and um, never had any support. And I was like, wow, it makes me feel better that I, you know, have this challenge. But I was able to overcome so much and graduate um, at the age of 21 and now I, um, am in graduate school. So it was, it was an interesting feeling. Cause I kind of felt like it gives me like, it gives me clarity, but like, I was really proud of just my strength so far. Well, I think that's a really incredible way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I could, I mean, I, I personally, I cannot imagine <laughs> finding out at the age of 25 that you yes. were you know, on the spectrum. Yes. And I can see how it can go one of two, but I can go both ways. And I don't, uh-huh. and where you can see yourself feeling like you don't, 
like at a sigh of relief, like, Hey, like I, I know, I mean, it's not nearly the same at all, but I remember when I got older and I started to learn about what anxiety was and mm-hmm. what depression was and started learning what social anxiety was and things started to make a lot more sense where I could explain actions or most importantly feelings that I had as a child and as a young mm-hmm. as a teenager and it made a lot more sense and in a way it made me feel a little bit better and then mm-hmm. also when you come through those things and you realize hey I got through it now that part it doesn't connect but for you I can imagine the sense of accomplishment must be through the roof it was I mean I was like I read the paper and I'm like hmm okay and it's like it gives me like a sense of like I feel better about myself because I'd always be like why did I do this or why did I say this or or why am I doing this and now when I read it I'm like it gives me just a better understanding of who I am I don't try to use it as excuse because I feel like we should not be using our disabilities excuse but we should just definitely learn from the shortcomings and um you know, I, as I stated, I, I actually, I, I grew up in a single parent household and, um, I learned a lot from my dad and he, um, had, has a disability himself. And, um, I kind of just took from what I learned from him, even though I struggled a lot. And I was like, my dad was very, you know, single parent uh, persistent and he never took no for an answer. And um, I, I just became a fighter from that. But at least the diagnosis gave me clarity and uh, understanding of my shortcomings. I mean, I can just tell immediately from the way mm-hmm. you're speaking, the amount of strength Thank you. That you had is, is unbelievable. I mean, I'm in awe <laughs> of just the way you're, how articulate you are and how powerful and open you're being. I first want to say that's, that's really incredible. And I, I'm Thanks. curious, there's, there's something you were mentioning, you know, earlier about not relating with kids and mm-hmm. friendships and, you know, you walked a little funny or you talked a little mm-hmm. funny and kids, I mean, kids can be absolutely great and at the same time, <laughs> really, really, really vicious and mean. Were you, yeah. would you say you were bullied as a child? Mm, I can't remember really in, as I was a child, but actually in high school, I kind of remember some girls were kind of like mocking how I was walking and I, I was kind of far away from them. And I like, I turned my head and they were like mocking me a little bit in terms of my, like how my demeanor was and stuff like that. And it was, it kind of sucked because it was like when I was like 16 or 17, um, I was like, dang, like, I really don't need this, like, like this stuff to happen to me. Um, as a child, I don't think I was really bullied on like just my demeanor um but i i had some kids just be weird kids <laughs> but i think the bullying came so more so in like middle school and mostly high school interesting and how did you do you think it impacted you as you grew up or i mean it seems like you've have like a found respect now yeah to look back and say what doesn't kill me makes me stronger and i'm a fighter and i don't want to no excuses and that's really great to have now but I have a feeling that that you weren't always like that no I definitely wasn't I was very I would say when I turned 25 and I moved out of my grandmother's house before she got sent to her senior home I was really insecure and I would cry a lot and that was before I I started therapy consistently um I had a lot of issues I think I would had I had some problems in my early 20s, family issues, uh, a little of legal thing happened. Um, I think my turning point was really when I was like 25 and my uncle, he didn't really make me leave the house, but he was like, you know, it's time for you to move out on your own and, you know, live your independent life. So I got my apartment. I've been living here for five years. I kind of had that switch in me where 
you know, I still had that like old insecurity from my high school years and middle school years in me. But like once I got 25 and like I moved out, things changed in my life. It was really weird. It was kind of like a turning point once I moved out on my own and had my first long term job that I'd been at for five years. So I don't know. No, it's interesting. I, I, I can tell yeah. I can tell the I can see like the confidence and the mm-hmm. that it feels like you've correct me if I'm wrong, have you mm-hmm. have, you've mentioned you went to therapy. Mm-hmm. You seem to have processed a lot of trauma or a lot of emotions and feelings that you seem to be more on the other side now, looking back, able to see it. Definitely, definitely. Um, I used to go to child, I went to child therapy after my mom died in 97, 98. My dad made me, I hated it. Um, I would tell my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, like, I, this sucks, just get me out of here. Like, I didn't say sucks, but I just was crying a lot. And um, I really wanted to get out of that. And then my grandma came and tried to like, you know, tell the therapist she doesn't need it anymore. So I don't know how long I did child therapy for, but then I didn't do any therapy in middle school, high school beginning of college but I had some trouble when I was in my mid-20s with some family and um, I kind of was like I need to just get myself in order I I have the autism diagnosis this is when I got the autism diagnosis at 25 and I, I was like I need to find a therapist and I found one I went to her for about four years but I left due to issues professionalism issues on their end found a new one that I actually really like and um I also started psychiatry as well, and I started taking um, medication during that period of time. And I, I feel like I've been more mellow in the last maybe five years of my life. I would say from like 20 to 24 was a really peak time for me where I had a lot of like friend issues and social problems. <laughs> but once I got from 25 to 31, like now I'm more so like I reflect on the mistakes I made. I made some really not bad mistakes, but like not good things that I would like to talk about per se, but, um, you know, therapy has helped me a lot in terms of my growth and my development. And, um, I think it helped me in my relationship with my father, cause there was a lot of issues, um, on that end. Um, uh, a lot of things that my family doesn't know about, but, you know, I still love my dad and we've had some hard times, but, you know, I'm, I'm just glad that therapy has helped me um, overcome the challenges I had previously. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And listen, mm-hmm. I'm not, whatever you feel comfortable talking about is mm-hmm. really, you know, up to you. If you how deep you want to go, if I ask you a question that sure. you know you're not, like you just said, <laughs> I got certain things I don't want to go into. Sure, feel free to say, you know what, uh, for privacy reasons or for personal reasons, I right. can't go there. Right. But I, I it's inter- it's interesting that you said, you know, from 21 to 24, you had a lot of issues, mm-hmm. and you said earlier at 25 is when you got. Um, diagnosed with mm-hmm. autism or mm-hmm. being on the spectrum mm-hmm. do, you, do you think that's that was a click for you like why or was it something else that happened mm, I think just living on my own at the age of 25 was like dang I have to pay my bills now I gotta wake up on time for work and I get to work from home which has been awesome as well um no I just I I honestly really thank my family for I wasn't really kicked out of my grandmother's house. I used to, I was living with my grandmother after my grandfather died in 2012. Um, but I, I don't know. I just feel like I wasn't pushed in the deep end, but I was just guided into that direction. And I think just having that responsibility and having to pay your own bills kind of grew me up a little faster and it kind of weaned out the immaturity in me. <laughs> um, 
it, it's well, funny to think about it too as i reflect yeah i mean i think from what it sounds like you must mm-hmm. have had some anxiety definitely <laughs> definitely can you talk about you know what what are, what are some of your you know can you, looking back like or, yeah. or maybe you want to stay in the current present tense yeah. what are some of the, you know what are some issues that you've had dealing with mental health um well i definitely anxiety started when i was younger and i would go to family functions and i always used to think to myself oh my cousins don't like me they don't want to talk to me they don't want to be around me and i feel like finding um solace in you know one of my younger cousins to come on the you know <laughs> um definitely helped me with my anxiety because i feel like finding someone that really understands you and and cares about you and doesn't judge you even at a young age is definitely very powerful um then as i got older i had some anxiety in school i used to write for my high school newspaper and uh my junior and senior year and i worked with some boys in the sports section and they always kind of put me down a lot and uh, were like, you know, you can't write well and you don't can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And they would kind of pull pranks on me and stuff. So I always felt really like anxious and overwhelmed to even come into the like journalism class when I was in there. And that really set me off, I feel like in my junior and senior years to be a little bit more like, I won't say rebellious, but like overstimulated in my brain. And I did have some like disciplinary like discipline happened to me and um it was hard because I kind of got like expelled from a class I wasn't expelled from school but like I couldn't stay in my class because I was being a little bit of a troublemaker but not really (laughs) um I just felt like I was telling the truth but um and I felt like anxiety uh got the best of me too in college with some relationships that I had with friends and um you know, some personal issues um, with dating and, and stuff like that. But I didn't really start doing that until I was like in my 20s, my mid 20s. And, you know, anxiety has become is a really hot button topic these days. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're talking about anxiety, can you explain what ha- like, can you explain like what it, what it feels like to you? Um, it kind of feels like being in a box by myself. Or I mean, there's a lot of like ways I can describe it. Um, kind of feels like being in my own space and having the tv on and it just being static and like i i just feel tense in the situation wherever i am I, my, my body just like stresses itself out and i i just want to get out of any sort of room that i'm in when i have anxiety like most people would um anxiety is definitely difficult though but i, I feel like as i've gotten older i've definitely been able to reduce it but it happens from time to time and um i feel like what's helped me a lot is having a stress ball at my desk or in my purse that I'm just able to squeeze when I can. So one of the ways that you found a way to deal with your anxiety mm-hmm. is stress ball. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about this? What, what, what about it works for you? I think I like a lot of like stimulation. And uh, I think a lot of people with autism like to, I won't say like touch things, but like feel like their sensories need to be like stimulated. So I have one right now that I'm actually holding and it's like, kind of like a ball but it has like little spikes on it so i just like feel the feeling of it going between my hands and touching it interesting it's, i want does it feel like it grounds you yeah it kind of feels like it's kind of like hey michelle just relax you got this i'm like literally rubbing you right now as we're talking wow that's you know it's so interesting because yeah you know, the more the more i learned about my own anxiety and the way i mm-hmm. uh, my triggers and my and my ways of grounding and, and, and getting myself to get back to neutral. And 
you know, I'll never, I'll never forget when I was hyper, really like really hyper anxious and, and in the midst of panic attacks when I was in college and speaking with, you know, the, the school uh, saying the school um, count, like I went to go see the YU um, psychology center uh, mm-hmm. and we were talking, he was just like, what we need to do right now is just get you back to new, like his goal was just to get you back to neutral and mm-hmm. get you back to like a, ba- a base, a base level. And I never realized what he, I, I, I understood what he was saying, but I think grounding is such, is really the right word. It's grounding is to get you to realize, to, to get your mind to just stop overanalyzing, stop running like it's on 10.0 on the treadmill going fast, fast, <laughs> fast. And all you're trying to do is just ground yourself and say, hey, this is where I'm at right now. That's why breathing exercises are a big part of grounding. Yes. Um, you, you sound, you, that was an emphatic yes. Is breathing exercises something you do? Uh, not really, but a newer psychiatrist that I've been going to, cause I kind of just changed my psychiatrist did suggest that. So I haven't really been doing it cause I, I don't know. I just feel like I don't have the time, but I have heard from a lot of people that it's good to, uh, try that. Yeah. I think meditation is one of those mm-hmm. things where, um, everybody wants to do it. Like everybody really wants to meditate. Half of those people say that they meditate and then like 3% of those people actually meditate on a consistent basis. Um, mm-hmm. Meditation is something I've been on and off with. And it's I say like the timing thing is, in my opinion, like a crock of crap. Like everybody, <laughs> we, all, we can all make time for five minutes, 10 minutes when you wake up in the morning or at some point to do it. And myself mm-hmm. completely included. And I was just, you know, I had a really good friend of mine who um, actually has been on this podcast, Avi. He's actually my first guest episode, I want to say four or five. Oh, nice. I believe it's five. And he actually, you know, we recently um, challenged each other to do a, like a 10-day meditation challenge, like every mm-hmm. day for five minutes. And it's one of those things where it's like every time I meditate, I never regret doing it. And I always go and I always wonder, like, why don't I just do this every day? And yet here I am sitting on a day where I haven't really meditated yet. But <laughs> it's one of those things that really, you know, you come out of it and you, and it's really one of the, it's a great way to to kind of combat anxiety and to reduce stress levels. And it's one of those things where you're like, I should probably just do this and in my routine <laughs> combating anxiety. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned, you know, a stress ball. What are there any other tools? Are there any other tools that you use? Um, I sometimes like to call my friends. I don't have a lot of friends, but um, I have like one really good friend that like keeps me like centered. And I, she's an old work friend of mine. So I feel like connecting with someone over the phone or via text can help me reduce my stress too. And um, I actually like to get a lot of like tough love (laughs) conversations. That helps me too. It kind of grounds me like, hmm, I just got to relax a little bit. So the communication does help too a lot. Yeah, I think that's great that you know that you need tough love. And you know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure if you cultivate that relationship with your friend where you mm-hmm. are open and honest, where they can give you, they know when you call them, they know what you need. And that's yeah. Because it's a lot. Listen, I've, I've been the person who's called the friends and I've been the friend who people have called. Yeah. And it can be really, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the person to really know what the other person needs. And only way to really do it is to, is to do it. You know, um, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm like, like I tell everybody, I'm not a professionalist. Just started this podcast to help facilitate conversations, shed some light on the mental health conversation in a way of open and trying to have open and honest conversations, you know, and I've had people come to me and say, Hey, these are my issues. And there's some things where I, I personally experienced, or I've you know, taken a couple classes and I say to them, I'm not an expert. Here's what I think. And there are times where they come with me with real issues. And I'd say, listen, 
as much as I'd love to help you, I think you need to, to seek a professional. Mm-hmm. And I know if you're like, if you're not comfortable doing that on your own, I'm, I'm like, I'm here to help you. I'll right. research for you. I'll tap in my network. I, I'll, I can, I, I, we can, I can help you do it. But there are certain things, you know, that people can't do. And one of those is really, you know, psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely had experiences like that with people that I've known, whether it be like acquaintances or like friends in the past, where they're like giving me all these like, this is wrong with me, this, 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 this. And I'm like, you know, I definitely want to be supportive and understanding because like, I don't really want to like judge people for their like challenges because I I have challenges too. And I've made mistakes in how I communicated. Um, But I always just want to be very like, not straightforward, but just like, let them know, like, you know, I feel like you should definitely get help and either, you know, maybe see a therapist. And I don't really, I haven't brought up like psychiatry as a suggestion because I know some people like get kind of weirded out by that, but I do think therapy is really good. And um, I was listening to your older podcast about how therapy might not be a lifelong thing. Um, And I actually agree with that too. Well, I want to clarify for those. I believe that was episode number seven with Dr. Efren Millman. Um, He's a really cool guy. And, you know, I, my experience with therapy, I I think therapy works for some people. There's some people I know that have been, that are like older people that I know that have been with the same therapist for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, when I heard that, I questioned, you know, why? Mm. And then I also, but I see both sides. I don't want my, my, my side is I don't think that therapy should be something that if you're doing for that long then you're mm-hmm. not really i think it's morphed and and it's changed into instead of going for therapy you're kind of going for 50 minutes just to talk to somebody about your day right and, we're going and i think there's a ton of value in that actually mm-hmm. i don't know if it's therapy is the right way to do it i think there are other ways to get it out but then mm-hmm. again my man, the mantra is finding what works for you and if the money works and you have the time and it doesn't cause any real issues and you're at least it's helping you do something then I don't have a problem with anyone doing it I believe everyone should do what's best for them for me mm-hmm. I, I can't I didn't I don't like sitting in therapy and just talking about my day mine are I try and I and maybe this is one of the reasons why I didn't therapy didn't work for me for for a bit is I was very controlling I didn't I don't like giving out information personally about myself which is mm-hmm. super weird to say out loud and people are not as like this guy openly talks about his mental health issues in his life <laughs> I do but there are certain things <laughs> in therapy where it's like, I, I'm pretty, pro- I just kind of want to like give out some certain details and then let's find out like what's really wrong and what's going on here. And yeah. I've learned that the real work and I had a real, you know, my last therapist, so I haven't, because of COVID, I stopped seeing in person and I don't like to do telehealth. A lot of things that we, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't realize until now, and I'm probably going to shoot her a message after this and say, I, I see what you're saying now is a lot of uh, therapies investigate is like doing investigative journalism on yourself. Mm-hmm. You'll be really asking yourself a ton of questions. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And, and just to go back on that. Like you can do therapeutic things in different ways, like art therapy and, you know, therapy is not just like talking to someone. There's different ways to do therapy. So like people might get stressed out by like, I'm just talking to someone in a room or over a computer, but you can find therapeutic outlets and different types of things. You mentioned art therapy. Is that something that you've done? No, but I've always thought about it. I'm not artistic. I can't draw to save my life or do any of that. I wish I could, though. Uh, hey, you don't, don't, don't feel shame here. Um, I'm so poorly, I'm so poor artistically that uh, freshman year of high school, we were forced to take art class. And this is 100% true that 
the first assignment we had, I was so bad that he thought I, and I was joking around in the class, but I was really bad for art, where he was like, got mad at me. He said, you're not doing the assignment. He gave me a poor grade. And I really went to him after class. I said, I understand why you think I was joking around. I wasn't right. doing that. But I promise you, this is, I am this poor art- artistically. The next class, he saw me do it. And he's like, I really tried this assignment. I really gave it my all. And he looked at it and he goes, I get it now. <laughs> and he gave me the most simplistic assignments possible and said, if you just do a given effort, I'll, I'll, I'll pass, like, I'll pass you and give you a good grade. I like that. So, but it's one of those things where I was, I've, I've always wished, like, I think I'm always jealous or, I mean, I'm, yeah, jealous for sure going up. And now I'm like, and like, I, I wish it was something that I could do. I can't sing. I can't dance. I got no rhythm. I can't, I'm tone deaf and I can't draw to save my life and those are all three things that because i can't do them i really would love to be able to do i think it's such a cool outlet to be able to do mm-hmm. but, but it's really interesting i mean i know there are so many different therapies and i, and I really advise everyone to find to find, figure out what works for for them and i'm mm-hmm. curious now in, in that scope how did you find what works for you uh i i don't i don't know i guess i had a therapist for about four years but she wasn't that good so i kind of just switched over to someone else who has been amazing um what do you mean what do you mean wasn't good well i just kind of went to her because i just didn't have the time to find someone else and uh they weren't very professional they were late a lot and i kind of kick myself now because i'm like i could have just spent more time to find a better therapist and not just go with the first one so my advice to people that want to find a good therapist is you might have to take some time and trying out different therapists and don't feel like, oh, I have to stay with this one therapist. Because sometimes therapists are very pushy and they're just like, oh, yeah, we'll schedule you again. And And, um, I feel like what helps is just trying out different therapies. And um, yeah, I mean, I I, I did go to her for about four years, but I kind of just left (laughs) earlier this year for personal reasons and just differences, I feel. Um, But I feel like finding a good therapist does take time. And um, people shouldn't get so overwhelmed by the process and just you know take it step by step and if they don't find one that is good for them leave quicker than just staying in there for four years yeah I mean I think but I think <laughs> you learn you learn mm-hmm. from it and you know it's interesting are you do you feel like there's a like you were afraid or worried about sharing talking openly about mental health with like your friends or yeah life was that a was that a problem for you yes to an somewhat um maybe more so in like middle and high school in college I had friends that were more open about challenges and it was really helpful towards me um but yeah I feel like when I was like in middle or high school like you don't really want to like talk to your friends about it like you just want to like talk about how much you hate this class or how much this teacher sucks for giving a bad grade or something like that you don't really want to talk about mental health when you're like in that middle school to high school range but when I was in college it I I had some people that I was able to talk to it about which was nice to an extent yeah that's really good I, I think you're really I think you're pretty spot on I think I think people, the like kids are not equipped and I, I don't think the schools are doing, if they're not, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm out, I mean, I'm almost, what, I'm 25 now, so I'm seven years <laughs> out of, out of high school as my, as I feel old as heck right now, <laughs> but um, no, but I think, I, I do think that mental health conversations in, in schools need to catch up to where we're at outside of, yeah. you know, mental health has become such a, 
big topic. It's it's there. The, I, I've noticed it with my friends and family. Mm-hmm. And I noticed it with this podcast how big of a a subject it really is. And I and I think that there's a lot of kids that are coming out of high school, going in straight into college, getting hit with a different world, and I think they're immediately having anxiety, which lead, which can can lead and can go hand in hand with depression. Mm-hmm. And when when you're getting a lot of twenty, you know, when you have a bunch of eighteen to twenty two year olds that are depressed, I think that's really a that's really a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like when we were in middle school and high school, we should have like a mental well being class. You know, the people say they should be like a how to do a checkbook when you're younger and stuff like that. But it's like how to have a good mental health. You know, when you're younger, I think that would be great to have like in a class or something where we're able just to check in our mental well being. Yeah, I mean, I always think of it as like funny. It's like I can tell you like some random things in history that I don't feel are important to my life, and I, can, <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to the argument of why they are, and I can yeah. see it. But maybe it how to like how to deal with stress of school and how to deal with anxiety and health, learning how to actually healthily process emotions and feelings might be something that would be really good to do to you know teach to hormonal te- to hormonal <laughs> But that's just me. You would think, but I do think that there's going to be a revolution in schools. I'm looking forward to figuring out a way that I can play a part in it. Um, mm-hmm. Opening conversations around it. It's something mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about. I just think it's so important, and I think it's just so devastating to know that that we have so many young adults and and and, and teenagers and late teenagers that are just depressed. And for those that have gone through depression or I don't know if you've ever gone through depression, but mm-hmm. at that age, it's really, it can be really, I mean, it can, I, I've speak to people, it took a year, I mean, I don't want to say it took a year because I've grown from it, mm-hmm. but I want to stay in that trauma. Like, I lost a good six months of my life just of to, to, to debilitating depression and anxiety. Yeah. Like, just getting out of bed, I had to drop out of college, I had to, I shouldn't, I had may not be the word, I got to the point where I couldn't stay in college, I couldn't make it through a class without a panic attack and throwing up if that's if I could get myself out of bed in the morning and walk through class and actually go through the door. Mm-hmm. So it's so debilitating to see that all this, all these kids, and I think that it stems from a lot of issues that I didn't deal with, but that's on the personal level. But I think if you sure. take it to the next level, I don't know, I don't know if you've seen that in your life as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I had like an ex friend that I didn't really talk to. She died a couple years ago, I think due to maybe suicide. I'm not exactly sure. So but I've known her and then someone else that had depression and drugs were a factor. And yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely very tough. And I wish there was just more support given to people at a younger age. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, I, I agree, and, I, and I'm curious to hear from your perspective as somebody who is, you know, who's gone through anxiety, and mm-hmm. I know you didn't, you hadn't mentioned. I don't know if you've gone through depression, but you mentioned psychiatry in mm-hmm. um, that whole industry. Is there, is there? I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, and if you don't want to go there, that's absolutely fine. I can change to another topic, but I do want right. to give you um, the chance if you want to add something there yeah with psychiatry a lot of people are like oh you're you're in psychiatry you're in are you insane person and it's not really that you know once i started taking meds i would say like four years ago it really i'm not gonna say meds are like number one factor into feeling better about yourself or you know feeling more efficient in your mental well-being but you know getting that prescription from a psychiatrist and actually being on a medication that 
really works has definitely helped me because I really messed up before and I would take meds, stop meds, take meds, stop meds. But, you know, getting into therapy and, you know, having a changed mindset and taking meds religiously did help me. And, um, but a lot of people think going to psychiatrist means you're cuckoo. And I, I'm like, that's definitely not true. I know like when you go to psychiatrists, there's like different doors. So people, I don't know, can't see you come in or come out. And it's, it's like such an interesting thing for me. First went to psychiatrist, I was kind of scared, but psychiatry is really nothing to be embarrassed of or scared to say that you're going to. It's, it's needed. I mean, I'm not gonna say everyone needs psychiatry. Therapy can be good for some people, but therapy and psychiatry together can really help people. It can be like a one-two combination. It can really help people do better. Um, but it's just, it just bums me out when I hear a lot of people like say, oh, you go to psychiatry. Are you in a padded room? Like, why are you? And I'm like, no, it's not that. It's just, I, I, I just want these medications just to zen me out a little bit, make me feel more calm. But um, yeah, I just hate the stigma around it. Yeah, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed about. Yeah, I know. I don't look. I mean, I I, I had a really terrible experience with with psychiatry and with mm-hmm. medication. A lot of it didn't work for me, and I I don't I don't want to blame it all on the psychiatrist. I don't want to blame <laughs> it all on the therapist. I don't want to blame it. I'm not going to blame it all on me, even though it's right. an effort to do it. That's my. my <laughs> but I had a really you know. But I do believe that if you have if you do if you do go to therapy and you do find a good a, a psychiatrist and finding those are, can be very difficult. And yeah, a lot of psychiatry is a lot. And I, when I went through, it was a lot of trial and error. It's figuring out and mm-hmm. your brain a lot. So a lot of, you know, to be a chemical imbalance as well. Real clinical depression is there's an imbalance going on in, inside of you. Like there's not, there's certain things I can't, like some people believe, you know, I hear it all the time. And, and, I, and I've said it a lot on this podcast, you know, diet and exercise are, are so important. Some people believe, when someone says, you know, I'm really depressed and all oh, just get out of bed and, and diet and exercise and you're going to fix your problems. Like, no, that's <laughs> diet and exercise play an absolute role. But for somebody who really is clinically depressed, psychiatry and medication really yes. is such a solution. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that you think it's some like people you felt like judged, like people thought you were cuckoo or yeah, you're not. I, I, I maybe I'm more open to it, but I, <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything wrong. You know, if you have a headache. Or you have something else, you take a medication for it. And listen, I I think if you need to take, you know, there's certain types of medication that help you build to a balance and help you, you know, stay calm and and, and live a functioning normal, like, I don't want to use the word normal, but being able to help you function and to live a good life, then what, what is the problem? And I do want to, before I let you go, I do want to say one last thing here on this is that I don't believe that there's such thing as a happy pill and anybody who tries to sell you on a happy pill is not... (laughs) someone to be trusted and if they do and i don't think good psychiatrists ever do it and i don't think good therapists ever tell you you know there's one thing you do and you're going to be happy or it's going to fix everything because they know that not to be true Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 definitely tough i mean before i even went to psychiatrists i was you know i always would see like psychiatrists testifying at like court cases for like people that committed murders and stuff and I don't know, my whole perception of psychiatry definitely changed, but I, I mean, I think meds do help, but the, like you said, there's no, like, one magic pill. It's just trial and error. Yeah, and, you know, I, I want to, now that we've covered a lot of, like, of your mental health, and mm-hmm. we spoke at the beginning about, you know, autism and getting diagnosed at, at 25, and I'd like to hear a little bit now about what you, I think you just bring such a valued perspective, and if I don't, <laughs> and I'm, 
in the moment, like very like worried that I'm not going to do a great job of asking these questions, but so no I'm going to so ask some questions and I want you to take them. What are people, what are the misconceptions people have about people who are on the spectrum? Uh, that we can't do much, that we can't drive, that we can't have employment, that we can't go to school, that we can't live on our own. And it's like, it's a spectrum. So there might be people that can't do that, but there are people that can like myself. So just that concept, that, that idea that, you know, we just can't do anything, but, you know, make excuses for ourselves. It's just, it's not true. Like that we can do a lot. And I feel like having motivators, having strong family, strong friends is, is definitely a, a good step in the right direction for people on the spectrum to have. And, um, I met Temple Grandin, who is an autism advocate, Dr. Temple Grandin. And um, she's very, 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 like, focused on, like, making sure that people on the spectrum have jobs and and have that, you know, independence. And, um, you know, that comes from their own drive, but also having, like, motivators as well. So I just hate the idea of people thinking that people on the spectrum can't really do much because it's a spectrum. Maybe they can't, but some people can, too. Yeah, and I, I can see that would be really frustrating, you know, mm-hmm. someone you believing that because you have autism that you get lumped into a giant pool of people that, you know, like you said, there's some people who have, you know, maybe more severe autism. That can't, right. That there's certain things that they can't do, but it doesn't mean because I can't do one thing doesn't necessarily mean I can't do the other. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's like, you know, like I said earlier, like if you've seen one person with autism, autism, you've seen one person with autism. That's it. It's only just one person. I mean, if you everyone, if you put it in a, if you put five people of, in, with autism in a room, it, they're going to have different areas of strengths and different weaknesses, but they're all their individual person. So it's like, I hate like the categorizing of like, it's just, it just sucks, honestly. And yeah, I, I can imagine. And uh, listen, if for anyone out there, who's like maybe feeling that they've done it themselves, I'll call myself. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never forget <laughs> to call my own self out that I didn't. When you reached out to me through Facebook after listening, yeah. you know, that Nechama we mentioned was actually a guest two episodes ago with her husband yeah. Joe, who's my really close friend, and I've gotten to know Nechama, and I'm like really happy that you listened and reached out. And when yeah. you mentioned that you know you had autism and then dealt with some mental health issues and reached out, you know, I was a little skeptical is not the word. I was excited about you know reaching mm-hmm. out and I knowing about the topic, but I was you know I didn't know what to expect when we chat when we chatted you know. Uh, 40 minutes before we jumped on to record tonight i didn't uh, for those that don't uh, yeah for it's like i didn't know what to expect and i i, I didn't under i didn't know if you would be if you were or the thing and that's because i had my own judgments about you and for that i apologize and, you know it's okay that I, that I become more conscious of and i i don't and it's why i wanted it's why i'm so happy that you're here and i i'm i want to know more about you know misconceptions that people have and if you could just educate me or, and, and, and by educate, I mean, tell me your experiences. You know, you mentioned you're, um, you're an educator, spe- uh, special ed educator. Can you mm-hmm. talk about that? Um, I, like, people think that people that have autism are weird or just like, they like a lot of childish things. And maybe when I was younger, I kind of was more so on the childish end of stuff, like in my interest and, I was maybe 10 or 11, still playing Barbies with my younger cousin, Nechama, my first cousin. And maybe I shouldn't really have been doing that at that age. Um, but now I'm not really, I'm not like, I don't have child interests. Like I don't watch Barney or anything at 31. Um, just people think that people with autism are like weird. And it's so odd to me because it's like, they say Bill Gates might have ha- might, uh, has it and Steve Jobs might have had it. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. It's like people with autism, 
really change the world. Like they really make a difference. And they're some of the richest people out there too. So it's like, don't hate on people with autism at the end of the day, because they're innovators and they're game changers. And it's like, you know, the kid that you're making fun of in seventh grade, you know, when he's like 37 can have like $2 million right. more than you do or something. I wonder if it's like a, one of those things. It's like a fear of the unknown is that you know, mm-hmm. with autism, because some of the deficiencies in autism could be, you know, um, lack of eye contact or poor communication yes. skills. And I think when people who human beings have a hard time, no matter what you are or where you're deficient, unless you're like, really skilled in communication skills we mm-hmm. have a really hard time relating with each other and communicating yeah. with each other as it is and you, then you add with one party has poor deficient is deficient in communication skills and then the other person is deficient in communication skills yeah i can see where the lack of communication <laughs> happens then and then when people are af- when people don't understand they become afraid and when people become afraid they will they get uncomfortable and they and they can lash out especially at younger ages when somebody especially in the teenage years and in the young adult years and, you know, people become afraid and they stick and they kind of, it's easy. Isn't right. How much easier. I think it's so convenient for people to lump anyone in that, that has a disability or has Mm -hmm. anything in because it's, we can categorize it. Oh, if they, they have autism, so they must be like that. And we drop these and we do it with people with special ed and we do with things in our, in, in a million other things as well. We like to categorize and lump people in. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned about the eye contact thing. I forgot to say that. I would struggle with my eye contact maybe until I was, like, 20. And I was like, maybe I don't have this problem because of my acne. And I was like, hmm, maybe not. Maybe it was just issue with my autism or something. But now I've gotten better with eye contact. But, yeah, people want to, like, lump people uh, into, like, this pot, like, this, you know, this group of people that just, like, no two people with autism are the same. And it's just it's just not fair to have that judgment without really knowing someone it's like you know don't judge a book by its cover because you just don't know who you're talking to at the end of the day and it's i just i just hate the bias like it, it just sucks do you feel that it's gotten any better um yeah i mean there's like shows like uh atypical on netflix i don't I've, know if you've ever seen that i have seen atypical it's cool i binge watched it a couple months ago i was like boom it's pretty cool. Like I felt like the actor did a really good job. He's not on the spectrum or anything, but they have, um, he was in a focus group or, or, or support group and there were actual people with autism, like sitting next to him. And one of the professors at my school, his daughter has autism and she was in the, she was like an extra and she had some lines. So I really like that show because they have actors that were, that are on the spectrum and they actually had were criticized on their first season for not having that. But then in their later seasons, I think they had more and more. So I think positive media representation of autism is really needed. Um, that way the biases can go lower and um, people can just be like, hmm, autistic people are not different. <laughs> they're same. They're same just like you and or, I. Or they're different and that's okay. And they, they or different and that's okay. They diff- right. I think he, he is that every – we don't want everyone to be the same. Not even right. people that you could say that aren't – that aren't artistic are still not the same. We all have different quirks about us. We have different, mm-hmm. we're, we're just art. We're just different. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, really interesting. And I, I know that atypical is a show that, you know, opened my eyes a little bit to, to understanding aut- autism be- better. And it's like, you know, eye contact is such an important 
thing in like the business world. It's like, right, you shake the hand, and you, <laughs> yeah. and you look people in the eye, and then it's like, well, why? And people get mad. It's like, why don't you look me in the eye? Well, it's like, um, I, I <laughs> that you're used to that, but for somebody who's deficient in those skills, or that's, mm-hmm. that can be really tough. Where it's like, for me, looking you in the eye is like what, whatever, what's really hard for somebody else. Like that's the equivalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my grandparents were always get, giving me a slack for that because I mean they didn't really know I had anything wrong with me, and they even when my uncle like dropped that little tidbit when I was 21 um they just really think of it too much um I feel like disability was so like kept under the rug in previous generations like older older people like in the early like for like in the 40s and 50s like they didn't really want to like understand disability issues that much but as we progressed it's definitely gotten easier to talk about um but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's definitely work to be done on that end for sure. Yeah. And where, where are you at today? Uh, today I am working full time, uh, five years, been at this company, um, going to school part time. Um, I'm in a good place mentally, um, have some good friends, um, you know, taking it day by day really. And, um, just being the best version that I can and, um, not really, going back too much in the past because it, it really bums me out when I think about the mistakes I've made. Um, I just want to learn from my past and, and grow into a, a stronger individual. Wow. That's incredible. Michelle, <laughs> thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, David. I'm so sorry I wasn't able to meet you in uh, August at that wedding. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't, our paths didn't cross, but thank you so much for, for reaching out. I'm really, really, ex- uh, really happy to have, to, to have had this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if anybody out there is interested in, in learning more about autism from or has any questions for Michelle, I'd be happy to reach out to me. I'd be happy to mm-hmm. to connect you as well. Um, thank you guys um, for, for that. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, David. I do appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I know I'm still processing and thinking a lot about what was said. I know that I learned a lot of new things and I thought she did an incredible job of opening up and really sharing and being vulnerable. And I know that's something that I'll always respect. You know, I always put a challenge at the end of these episodes saying anybody reach out if you're interested in coming on. And, you know, Michelle and the last guest, Rachel, really took me up on it. And I can say how amazed I am of you guys for being so willing and open to come on. If anybody who's listening is out there and has a story to tell or wants to just come on and have a general conversation about the state of mental health or really anything that fits in that mold, please reach out. I'm happy to have a conversation with you. If there's anybody out there that's struggling with their mental health, please seek a mental health professional. You're not alone and it's okay to not be okay. Thank you guys once again so much for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Share it with somebody in your life that may be interested in this type of content. I really appreciate it. As always, any feedback is appreciated. I'll see you next week.